This is episode 7 of the Wash Talk podcast with Sophie Tremolay of the World Bank. Welcome to the Wash Talk podcast series from IRC. My name is Andy Narricott and this is the podcast where we open up the discussion on what the wash sector needs to do to achieve the sustainable development goals. We'll be interviewing people from all over the world, from policymakers and human rights activists, to economists and water service providers, to get us all moving closer to the goals we're striving for. Sustainable Development Goals 6. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get started. To meet the incredibly audacious SDG 6, there's an estimated yearly financial gap of $114 billion for capital expenditure and 1.5 times that amount for maintenance. So enter the concept of blended finance. I'm joined today by Sophie Tremolay of the World Bank and Patrick Moriarty, CEO of IRC. And what we're going to cover today is what blended finance is, how it might help us meet that financing gap, and some of the challenges and opportunities out there. We're using some financial language that is not widely understood, or at least by me anyway. So if you're not an economist and are new to the financing world, this episode will help you bridge that gap and help you have those necessary conversations with your peers. That and so much more. But before we dive in, make sure you head over to ircwash.org forward slash wash talk for the summary of this episode in nice, neat bullet points to help you take action from this episode. So without any further ado, let's jump into this episode with Sophie Tremolay. Hello, everyone. I'm with Patrick Moriarty from IRC, and today we're talking to Sophie Tremolay on the role of blended finance in achieving SDG 6 for water and sanitation. First of all, Patrick, I wanted to welcome you on. As you will all know, Patrick is the CEO of IRC, and I'm pleased to co-host this episode of Wash Talk with him. So, Patrick, welcome onto the show. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Andy. Great to be here. Good. Fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, firing a few questions off with you. <laughs> um, and many of you will know in, in the wash sector will know Sophie Tremolay, um, who is with the World Bank. She has been focusing, focusing on the financial, institutional and regulatory aspects of wash service delivery for many years and authored many papers. So I'm sure you're all aware. Um, and and what she focuses on is the essential glue that really goes alongside big infrastructural investments of the bank. But So we're very honoured to have her on the show and uh, looking forward to discussing the role of blended finance. So Sophie, welcome onto the show. Hi, thank you very much for the invitation and uh, the introduction and the um, hello to Patrick as well. Good. Well, thank you, Sophie. So first of all, you know, we recognise there's a big challenge ahead you know, something ridiculous like $1.7 trillion has been estimated as the financing gap for SDG 6. And we obviously need to fill that gap somehow. So obviously enter the role of blended finance. I'm assuming that's how this uh, topic uh, was raised originally by the OECD, I believe. So Sophie, perhaps you can expand on that. What is blended finance and why do we need it? Right. So the term blended finance has been around for some time and um, what I found is that it often means different things to different people. 
at a very general level, at the level of definitions, the concept of mixing or blending different types of financing sources with different financing conditions into a single package um, that is available to the entity that wants to use those funds. So when I first uh, looked into it, that was actually back in, in 2008, working with the OECD on um, paper on innovative financing for the water sector. That concept was around over, already, but was meaning a slightly different thing than the way we employ it now. At the time, it referred to the way of um, mixing grant financing and concessional financing. So this referred to what, um, for example, the European Union does when it provides grant financing, for example, for technical assistance in combination with lending packages provided by development banks, um, particularly European development banks in that case, such as the European Investment Bank, the Agence Française de Développement, or, or KFW. So they would do this um, because governments would typically not want to borrow um, for technical assistance, for example, or for, for subsidies for um, poorer or harder to reach people. However, now when we talk about blended finance, we tend to use a more recent um, definition that was proposed by the OECD back in 2015. And it focuses specifically on the strategic use of development finance and philanthropic funds to mobilize private capital flows um, to emerging and frontier markets. So the key change, if you want, is this emphasis on private or call it commercial financing. And this is the definition that the World Bank wire work uh, is now using when we refer to blended finance because we really put emphasis on the need to use the concessional funds or the grant funds that are available in a more strategic way to attract commercial financing um, to infrastructure and, and specifically to the water sector going forward. Okay, great. So we have this different sources of capital. Now, don't they all have different, you know, in, uh, desires for return? Some are philanthropic, some are normal finance in the private sector, some are sort of a mix of both. Now how? And obviously, they have different risk profiles. How do you square that? How do you get all those people working together in a financial instrument? So... Blended finance can happen in, in different ways. It can be parallel financing or it can be in a, in a single financing structure. I think, yes, you're right to say there's different um, risk appetites and there's different types of investments as well, which yield different levels of returns. So when we say we need to become more strategic um, with the use of development finance, it's basically to say that um, development finance should stop chasing around the lower hanging fruit um, and leave that uh, to commercial financiers who, are, who can expect a return on their investments. The development financing should be used um, for more challenging, if you want, investments and those which are less likely uh, to yield a return. Because there is a strong risk at the moment that development financing um, is crowding out over commercial financing that could um, come forward. So we need to be very conscious of that bias and use um, development financing more, more strategically. 
I'm not saying this is easy because that really requires a change in approach, a change in mentality. And um, we've been trying to do that for some time. It's, it's not happened yet in the in the water sector. It's happened in other sectors. Um, for example, in, in the energy sector, there is much more appetite for commercial lending and therefore um, much more emphasis on attracting um, that type of finance. A similar type of, of change in mindset uh, needs to take place in the water sector. Patrick, did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, thanks, Andy. And I mean, I think that uh, that the work that Sophie's been doing in the bank, uh, you know, is really interesting and and very timely. And the publication that they brought out recently, and that I hope we'll be able to link to somewhere in the podcast, I think it is really worth a read. I mean, I guess one of the questions that that I have about this, and knowing that we have this huge challenge, and it's great that someone's putting it on the table, both the big the big sort of 114 billion a year figure and also the thinking uh, smartly about how we can use existing existing government and donor finance to try and suck or crowd private finance in. But what I wonder about, and it goes back to Sophie's uh, explanation of the, of the change in definition, if you like, of blended finances, so much of it, this rests on the idea that the water, that wash, that water and sanitation sector is investable, that it is possible to find bankable projects in there, regardless of who's financing them. And, you know, that was the role that I guess used to be paid by that the, the concessionary piece for technical assistance. And I'm wondering, where does that fit now into the new vision of blended finance how do where do we find the money to build the the systems that are needed to make the sector finance uh, the, to make the sector function effectively so that it's worth worthy of uh, or interesting to commercial finance okay thanks i mean the yeah in a way the the, the publication that you refer to um we Term that we called it easing the transition to commercial finance for sustainable water and sanitation. I think the um, the World Bank has moved on and, and as have many others with us in terms of um, not necessarily thinking that commercial finance can immediately be leveraged in the water sector. We do need um, this transition to commercial finance. We do need to work, for example, with water utilities on making them um, more bankable, on segmenting the market as well, because in countries such as you know Indonesia, Colombia, the Philippines, where you have multiple water sector providers, every single water sector provider is not the same. They would have different ability um, to mobilize commercial financing. The point is, unless we're very clear about what the end goal is, we won't get there. So if we continue sort of lending at very concessional terms to um, water sector companies with not looking at their financial viability, then um, this will clearly not happen. Um, so they, even though they might not be immediately able to pay off commercial debt, um, this is something that needs to happen over time, and that has happened in a number of, um, of situations. In the Philippines, for example, you have water service providers which have been able 
to borrow from commercial banks. And what is interesting, um, when the Philippines water sector revolving fund was set up, what is interesting to see is that the commercial banks are actually offering lower interest rates than uh, national development banks because there's um, a competitive aspect between commercial banks. If you have well-functioning commercial markets and they see this um, segment as an investable um, market segment, then uh, they will be ready to to lower their rates. But I think that points out to um, the main uh, key issue, which is that it's not only the water sector that needs to evolve uh, for this to become re- a reality. It's also the, the capital markets that need to be reformed. And it's, um, so that means we need to work um, with banks on making them see the opportunities. And we also need to work with people who are working on the um, improving the functioning of capital markets so that they can be, um, be more efficient, if you want. So this is clearly something that takes time. It's not going to happen over time uh, um, immediately, but we we can make little steps to go into that direction, and this needs to happen now. Great. Thanks, Sophie. And I, just a follow-up question, because I recognize that picture uh, you you describe. I recognize. I, I think that that's absolutely right. And this is this is about incremental improvement. I mean, I guess for. I know that the the Dutch DGIS, you know, have uh, are, are supporting a, a blended finance facility, I guess, in in Kenya in particular. But behind that, you know, they did they did a study. I think they looked at ten countries or fifteen or something like that. And in the end, there was only I think of the countries they looked at. There were two or three. Kenya was one. Colombia was one. South Africa where. The these uh, the conditions that you're describing were met, and I guess, and, and typically those were middle income, perhaps lower middle income countries, but certainly not least developed countries. And I just wonder how how have you looked at the the range of countries where that that you think are ready to go, basically, where we could start working on blended finance and and beginning to bring in to bring in more private sector finance. And do you have criteria that say, actually, some countries just, it's not going to happen yet, and it's not going to happen for the foreseeable future? Okay, so I think what the Dutch are working on, um, GIS, is quite a specific type of instrument. It's the setting up of a pooled water fund. Um, So they have set up the Kenya Pooled Water Fund, which is looking to issue um, a bond uh, tapping domestic uh, investors, long-term investors, particularly pension funds, and that requires a number of conditions to be in place. That requires, um, you know, having these type of investors in the country and mature enough to look at a various range of opportunities, having the liquidity to invest. Um, because I, you know, I did a similar assessment in Tunisia. There, the pension funds are clearly not liquid. They're on the verge of bankruptcy, so this type of investment could not um, easily take place. Um, it also requires having a pipeline of projects from a number of um, utilities. Requires having the right type of um, legal and regulatory background uh, to provide certainty to investors, etc. So it's quite. 
a high threshold. And as you said, it's not in every country that we could find um, these conditions. And in Kenya itself, um, things were looking good um, and hopefully are still looking good. But as you know, there is political uncertainty at the moment, which meant that uh, the launch of the first bomb had to be postponed. And um, it's not yet uh, clear when this will um, actually take place. So if we looked in a bit in those terms, then um, the picture would not be very uh, rosy. But I think what is important to bear in mind is that in the water sector, there is a variety of financing needs, um, and there's a, a multitude of actors who need to invest uh, going forward. One of the big investors um, going forward will be households, um, particularly for um, the area of urban or or rural sanitation, where households are expected to uh, fork out the bulk of the investment, particularly in, in um in uh, on-site sanitation. There's also a multitude of small-scale providers which need to invest. And we have examples of um, this type of small-scale providers who have been investing with the adequate type of support. So right now, for example, I'm I'm working in Benin, um, which is one of the lowest income countries uh, in in the world, um, but which has quite a dynamic um, private sector for um, the water water sector. Since 2007, they've been um, transitioning and moving away from uh, community-based water supply in rural areas and bringing in more private sector um, activities. So they started off with a fermage contract, contracts in which private operators are not expected to uh, mobilize much financing. What they are expected to do is, is operate the service efficiently. And um, we have had, uh, thanks to um, and, you know, quite long-term support from WSD, a shift and the adoption of a new type of contract, what we call subsidized concession contracts, in which these private operators are expected to mobilize investments uh, for extensions and for new connections, individual connections. And these, these transactions were designed with um, the assistance of the IFC. Um, there's been so far um, three transactions uh, with uh, in 10 centers in which the, the amount of capital that was brought in by the private operators was actually higher than what had originally been envisaged. So the initial calculations was that they could bring in 10% of the investment requirements. They ended up bringing 27% of investment requirements. It's not a lot of money. It's $277,000 for these three transactions. But this model is now being scaled up. So we're aiming to have um, this type of contract for 180 sites um, in, in the next two years. And um, we are, as the World Bank, setting up a, a guarantee facility for this type of investments to take place. This guarantee facility has not been sort of set up out of nowhere. It's building on an existing mechanism which has been um, used for um, work, so for construction companies which have needed to mobilize financing. And so with that type of support, with um, this guarantee facility, with uh, technical assistance being provided to small-scale operators, to transaction advisors, local transaction advisors, 
we're hoping to raise quite a, a, a lot more uh, of this commercial finance going forward. This is great. Um, I'm pleased to see that the small-scale providers are being included, but obviously it's going to take quite a lot of small-scale providers to meet that um, the SDG 6 um, alongside the big utilities. But maybe you could just give me an, uh, uh, an example of what is some of the typical financing needs that you know, that that can be picked up by this blend of finance from these different sources. Are we just talking, are we talking mainly infrastructure pipes in the ground? Or are we talking the whole sort of gamut of um, strengthening systems within uh, small, uh, within operators or, you know, working capital for a few years as well? So maybe you can give me an example of what the financing would be for. Okay, so when we talk about blended finance, effectively what we focus on if we are, you know, development practitioners or development finance institutions is what can a development finance institution finance so that we leverage more commercial finance. So the type of financing that we bring is different from what we are hoping to leverage. Okay. So uh, in terms of what type of financing we bring, this would be either in the form of grants or in the form of parallel financing um, or in the form of, of guarantees and risk mitigation mechanisms. That's by the so bank, do you, do you if mean? We start, yeah, by, so by any type of um, financing institution which is, has a development outlook, if you want. So okay. the provider of, you know, if you go back to the definition, the definition is, is quite broad but, but quite clear at the same time. It's the strategic use of development finance and philanthropic funds to mobilize private capital flows. Mm. So it could be a development finance institution such as the World Bank or the ESG or you know, any of, of multilateral or bilateral development banks. It could also be a philanthropic fund. Um, so if we go back to the example of, of microfinance, um, an organization such as water.org has been receiving philanthropic funding from the Coca-Cola Foundation, the Mastercard Foundation, etc. And what they do is they use these philanthropic funds for working on strengthening microfinance institutions in the country or making them alert them to the opportunities in, in the water or in the sanitation sector. It's what they call subsidies, so here we're in the area of, of grants uh, purely, mm. um, in order to um, open the eyes of microfinance institutions to these opportunities. Okay, so that's how grant is, is leveraging... So that's how a grant would be used, right? Okay, fine. But then there are different... Um, there are other ways of, um, of using in a strategic manner um, development finance. So one of the tools that is um, available for that is the provision of, of guarantees. So that's a different types uh, of use, but often uh, what's interesting is you need to use multiple, um, multiple tools at the same time. So yeah. a guarantee might be more effective if you complement it with, uh, with a grant. Or a line of credit might be more effective if you combine it with a grant. Um, by line of credit, I mean an instrument whereby a development finance institution would make capital available to a domestic commercial bank 
in order to own land at either cheaper interest rate but rather longer tenor, longer duration, to borrowers. And um, simultaneously, it's possible to provide grants for technical assistance. And I, I, I mentioned this instrument because this is something that is used a lot in the energy sector, but has not been used so much in the water sector. So in the energy sector, typically, um, there are, as you know, a lot of needs for energy efficiency for industrial users, for example, to um, transform their equipment, uh, their factories to become more energy efficient. Um, what happens is usually you would have a regulation saying that um, energy, well, that industrial users need to upgrade uh, their, uh, their production apparatus, their, their factories to become more energy efficient and therefore they would need access to finance to do that. So what a development finance institution can do is provide a line of credit to a, a domestic commercial bank so that they, they will lend to factories in order to upgrade their the, uh, production systems. And they also provide technical assistance to orient uh, the industrial users on what type of changes they can make. So it, it often comes as a, as a package. Mm. Um, you need to, to think of, of a menu of instruments to give you your, your blended finance package. Right? Yeah. So it's not it's not one or the other. Okay. Um, Sophie, can, I, of, can, can yeah. I just but um, just ask one question here now that I think what you've outlined is there are a range of menus and it takes a very good architect or or, or you know senior economist in the bank to, to understand the menu and understand how those elements fit together. Now, can you give us an example of how? You know, if someone listening to this podcast who are in the government or in the wash sector locally, what is the some of the the capacities they need to bring in to help them think through all those range of menus and how they can be applied in this uh, situation? Okay, so you mentioned I mean, the role of a government and the role of the water sector actors. I think governments have a, a very important role to play in all of that, in, and particularly ministers the finance, I would say, because ministries of finance would understand this type of strategies better because they've applied it in other sectors as well. And they would also uh, be able to, to understand the limitations of, of concessional finance for the water sector. They understand what it means to have a hard credit limit, uh, a borrowing capacity. So they could see that it's in their interest to incentivize the water sector to become more efficient and more creative for, about where it sources financing from. What they don't really understand is the water sector itself. So one of the things that we are proposing as the World Bank to um, countries where we work is to conduct what we call a strategic financial planning exercise. So it's taking the long view, um, looking up to 2013, uh, to, and looking at how they're going to be able to achieve the water SDG in the you know the four sectors that we typically think of so urban water rural water um, urban sanitation and rural sanitation and by doing that um, it's, they can look beyond a sort of shopping list of investments you know often what we get as development finance institutions 
the shopping list of investments um, of projects that we can finance. But there's no linkage to what could be um, financed for efficiency gains or what could be financed by commercial lenders uh, because these are projects with quick returns. For example, um, reduction of losses is something that could be financed by commercial financing institutions because if what you put in, you can get back fairly quickly um, in terms of saved uh, water cells. Um, so if we conduct this type of exercise with them, they can first of all understand what is achievable, because there's a lot of unrealistic expectations at the moment, I think, in the sector. I mean, the, the SDGs have set the bar very high. We need to now sort of come back to what is, a practical financial strategy. They can also understand what can be financed through this type of um, commercial blended finance strategies, i.e. commercial financing with some nudging, with some support from, from um, concessional financing. And then they can also understand what will never stand a chance to attract commercial finance and for which they will need to provide subsidies because... Um, there's a lot of different segments in the water sector. So, and, and some segments, such as uh, rural water sector in very hard-to-reach areas, may never be uh, financiable through um, commercial finance. So, but we need to know that now so that we serve the scarce public uh, money and heavily concessional financing for those, um, for those areas specifically. Agreed. So that's one thing um, that that we can do, um, you know, with with governments per se. Um, then, in terms of the the, the utility of the service uh, providers, um, they should also look a bit harder at their own uh, financing strategies because in the past it's been very easy, um, particularly for the the donor darlings of the, you know, the ones that are finding it easier to access money, it's been very easy to rely on, on concessional finance. But um, in some cases, that might not be the cheapest solution, particularly in countries where um, there's a you know, rapid deflation of domestic currencies. It may be that the packages that they subscribe to in hard currency, because that's how... Um, concessional finance comes in, it comes in dollars or it comes in euros or mm. um, it may be that what they've subscribed to has actually hit them a bit harder than what they thought uh, through the impact of, of devaluation. So they need a bit more introspection in terms of understanding what really is the cost of that money or if a World Bank loan took three years to arrange what is the cost of that delay um, when they could have gone, for example, to a commercial bank to replace their meters and uh, increase their collections much quicker and therefore generate cash for, for more investment? Mm. So it sounds like we need the specific expertise to come in and help those service providers to look at their operations, look at their growth and their strategy, and to see what different elements, different types of finance in that menu can um, help you know, achieve the goals of that service provider. Um, just wrapping up here, Sophie, have you got any sort of last few recommendations 
or for, for the audience who are listening on how they can take some practical next steps in exploring how blended finance can work in their context? Yeah, so we talked about you know, strategic financial planning. We talked about sort of looking at their own um, finances and the cost of finance. We also need to talk about getting them to understand um, the commercial lenders a little bit better. Yeah. Um, so if you're look, looking at, um, you know, microfinance, uh, it's important for government. If a government has decided that um, on-site sanitation would be financed by households. It's important for them to try and, and understand where this money can come from and whether microfinance institutions would be willing to lend to that sector and if not, what else can they do in order to um, to address that barrier? Um, so what else can they do to expose microfinance institutions to the needs of the sector? Um, is it what else can they do to reduce the perception of risks so they lower interest rates, um, etc. Um, and in some cases, it doesn't take very much. I mean, I, I had uh, the opportunity of working on purely a research project, the SHARE research project for DFID, where we looked at um, promoting or, or sort of exploring the potential for microfinance for sanitation. And on one of those visits, we took a, a microfinance to visit um, to visit slums and and make them aware of the work of of um, pit latrinantias. And in one visit, they opened their eyes and they understood that there was a real business activity there and and potential. So they actually issued a, a, their first loan to this business very shortly after that visit. But they were not aware of this as being a an opportunity prior to that. Um, so these businesses exist. I mean, urban sanitation is only provided by small-scale businesses at the moment in, in most developing countries in terms of, of collecting and, and building latrines. Um, the, the point is um, making financial institutions aware of them and helping those um, businesses to, to be better structured and better able to, to access finance. Yeah, Fantastic. I think what we've done is we've explored the blended finance and how it's structured together, how it can make real tangible solutions to the challenge of the SDG 6. But you've um, highlighted some really good examples as well, Sophie, and some practical next steps that um, people can take. So I just wanted to thank you for coming on to the Wash Talk podcast, um, for lending us your insights and really unpacking this a little bit further. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Andy and Patrick. And thank you to you, Patrick, as well, for being my accomplice. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you very much. And, and thanks uh, to Sophie also. I think it, it's great. And it's, uh, I think it's exciting, interesting, challenging stuff. But I think, as you said, Andy, we'll, we'll need more, more financial specialists and more economists to come into the sector so that it can become a reality. It's not, not going to be easy. <laughs> Absolutely. Amen to that. Tr tr trust me, you talk sometimes talk a different language, but we'll leave it there. Thanks very much, yeah. Sophie. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye. That was Sophie Tremolay at the World Bank. Thank you to Sophie for speaking to us on the Wash Talk podcast from IRC. If you liked it, make sure you share it. The web address is ircwash.org forward slash wash talk. And make sure you add to the discussion by using the hashtag 
Wash Talk on Twitter or in the comments section on the Facebook post. Don't miss the next episode in a couple of weeks. But until then, thank you for listening. That's it. Have a great couple of weeks. <laughs>